the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. God says, I will remember your sins no more. Now, what does he mean by that? What he means is not that he's forgotten in the sense that God has amnesia. God hasn't forgotten your sin. But when he says, I will remember your sin no more, he means I choose not to hold it against you. You have to do the same thing. I choose not to hold the sin against the other person. But it hurt me so much. Yeah, but you hurt God a lot more. And he forgave you. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Just what does forgiveness mean? If I casually say, forget about it, have I forgiven someone? Is it forgiving to say something didn't hurt when it really did hurt? Or is it something else, something deeper? This concept of forgiveness is complex, but it all hinges on a choice that we make. Once we know what God expects of us, we need to choose whether we will obey His command to forgive. I'm Peter Silseth, and this is Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class taught by pastor-teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve has been serving since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We are glad to have you with us today. Our lesson is the conclusion of a three-part message from 2 Corinthians chapter 2. It's a two-message series explaining some of the most important reasons the Bible gives for forgiving. If you're a Christ follower, you must know what it means to be forgiven. It's great to be on the receiving end of forgiveness, but it's not always easy to be on the giving end, is it? How do we avoid being overly permissive while steering away from vindictiveness? Let's open our Bibles and our hearts as Pastor Steve shares how we can forgive others in order to restore fellowship, friendship, and even love. Years ago, we were in the process of disciplining someone. It had not become public yet, but this individual had been confronted, and and she would not repent. And so before we ever got to this third point, she left. And I found out where she was going to church. So I decided to call the pastor. And he was not very pleased with my uh, conversation with him. And you know what he told me? And I explained to him just what we had done and why we were doing this. And he said, what she needs is to just be loved. And my feeling was, yes, she does. Discipline is part of love. She needs to be spanked by God. That's what she needs. She needs to have a group of people who care enough about her to not let her get away from her, with her sin. But that's generally in our culture what makes this very, very difficult. Now, I have seen it in other cultures, in in foreign countries, where this is very, very workable in the church because you may be one church in a city of 20, 30, 40, 50,000 people, one evangelical church. If you're uh, cut off from all the believers, that has an impact on you. You can't have fellowship anywhere else. You can't be with God's people. They have shunned you. Now, they're to be gracious and treat you well, but they're not 
They're not, to, not inviting you to their home for a little Bible study, a little fellowship. We're not taking the Lord's Supper together. We're not discussing spiritual things together. If we discuss things, we'll witness to you because you're acting like an unbeliever. That's where it is most effective. But that's the point here. Being put out of the church makes it very difficult. It ought to be difficult. It's supposed to be difficult when you discipline somebody. Well, apparently the Corinthians did exactly what Paul told them to do. They removed the man from their church fellowship. They actually shunned him. And that's what Paul means as you go back to 2 Corinthians 2, verse 6. He says, the punishment which was inflicted by the majority. This word punishment indicates official, church-sanctioned, formal act of discipline. That's what they did. The majority did it. Apparently not everybody was in agreement. The majority did this. But somewhere... Somewhere between the writing of First and Second Corinthians, this man must have repented. He must have repented of his sin because Paul writes about this. But the church did not receive him back. Instead, they continued to punish him by refusing to forgive him. And that's why Paul writes in verses 6 and 7, sufficient for such a one is this punishment which was inflicted by the majority, so that on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. In other words, enough is enough with the punishment. No more. It's over. There is no need to continue punishing this man because he's repented of his sin. The time has come for you to warmly embrace him, restore him back, fully forgive him. He's repented. Stop shunning him. See, this man no longer needed discipline. What they were doing was wrong. No longer needed discipline. He had repented. Repentance means not only a change of mind, as some people say, it means forsaking your sin. You don't just change your mind about your sin and then continue with it. You forsake your sin. That's how the word is used in context in the New Testament. This church should have opened their arms to this man and publicly received him back as a welcomed member of of the Christian community. But they didn't. And watch what Paul does. He points out that by failing to forgive this man, look at the last phrase of verse 7. They're in danger of causing this man to be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Overwhelmed. What does that mean? Well, the Greek word overwhelmed, or as the King James Version Um, expresses it's swallowed up. It, It really means to be overcome and to be defeated. It is the same word that was used of uh, Satan walking about like a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour. To be devoured by excessive sorrow. It is also the same word that in the uh, letter to the Hebrews is used of the Egyptians drowning in the sea. That's where we get the term overwhelmed or, or, or swallowed up. That's the picture of being so completely overcome that you're defeated. You're driven into despair. Paul urges the church to extend forgiveness and to restore this man to fellowship so he won't be driven to despair, swallowed up in sorrow, destroyed spiritually. That's the point. This is one major reason why you must forgive others and let them know that you forgive them and restore them back to your fellowship so that they're not continually heartbroken and exasperated and feel like there's nothing they could do to ever get things right with you. You see this often in uh, with couples. They've been so deeply hurt by a spouse. Maybe there's been unfaithfulness there. Maybe there's been just, just such a, a, a deep-rooted problem that they won't forgive. 
And no matter how many times the, the spouse apologizes, they, they won't forgive. Listen, that's wrong. That's absolutely wrong. If there's repentance, there's restoration. And even if there's not repentance, there ought to be unconditional forgiveness. And that person it can be driven to excessive sorrow. What can he or she do? It'd be like this. It, it'd be like your children. When, when your children are young and they disobey you, we're not talking about childish things here, but, but there's clear disobedience. There's a lack of submission to your authority when you're sure that they've heard what you've told them and they don't do it. They need to be spanked. They need to be dealt with. They need to be taken in the other room and spanked with you in control, not in anger, but you're doing this to correct them. And after that, and, and well, what you ought to make sure is that you explain to this child why he or she is being spanked. And then you spank them, and hopefully the result is that they will say, Mom, Dad, I'm sorry, please forgive. I was wrong. I was wrong. Now, if you turn around and say, oh, really? You did this last week. You're doing it now, and I'm sure you're going to do it again. Now, get out of here. What do you think you're going to have on your hands? You're going to have one exasperated, frustrated, excessively sorrowful child because there's nothing they could do to ever get back in your graces. You haven't forgiven them. You've put them on probation. They're like a criminal. Out on bond, out on bail. You're just waiting for them to fall again. That's why there's excessive sorrow. And quite frankly, folks, that's why there's a lot of exasperated children. Because there's nothing they could ever do to get back in your good graces. You don't want to do that with children. You don't want to do that with a spouse. You don't want to do that with anybody. And you must not do that as a church body. You must forgive. See, the broad principle here, even though in context Paul is dealing with forgiveness and restoration, I understand that. But the broad principle here is that you and I are not to continue punishing people who have sinned against us. We don't have that prerogative. God doesn't do that, and you and I are not to do that. Especially those who have apologized to us. Especially. If you do that, you're going to bring excessive sorrow upon them. There are some people who just refuse to forgive. They just refuse to forgive. You do have to wonder if they really know Christ. But let's assume for the sake of argument, they do. It is so, so wrong to eye someone with suspicion, to put them on probation. It's like saying to them, yeah, I hear what you say. Yeah, I know you've apologized. Yeah, we've been down this road before. And yeah, I'll forgive you. But I've got my eye on you. One false move, and that's it. That's not forgiveness. That is probation. That is not forgiveness. And that is not the way God forgives you. God has forgiven us all of our sin. And you know what? That took place the moment that we trusted him for salvation. But as believers now, we still come to him for daily forgiveness. That's not forgiveness uh, that will keep us from hell. That's the forgiveness of fellowship restored. You are. That's where 1 John 1, 1.9 comes in. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. That's about as a child to a father, not as a sinner to the judge. That was taken care of the moment you trusted Christ. But fellowship forgiveness, a, a, a parental forgiveness, takes place every day as we confess our sins. Does God say to you, you know what? You did that yesterday. You did that sin two weeks ago. In fact, you've been struggling in this very issue for years. I've got my eye on you. You're not really forgiven. I'll be watching you. You're on probation. God doesn't do that. 
1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness, even the things you have forgotten you did wrong. That's God's grace. And that's the way we are to be with others. You'd be, you would be under excessive sorrow if God said, no, I don't forgive you until you prove to me that you've got your complete act together. But that's what we do to people. And it's absolutely wrong. And we exasperate people. And what we do is we drive them away from the Lord. We drive them away from the church because we don't warmly embrace them and show them that we have forgiven. We have forgiven them. Forgiveness is to return joy to people. It is not to frustrate them and bring sorrow. It was David in Psalm 51 who, in deep repentance, said to, to God as he repented of his sin with Bathsheba, and he's, he said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. When God forgives, that joy is restored. But a lack of forgiveness does just the opposite. It heaps unnecessary sorrow and despair upon an individual. So why should you forgive someone? Not only because God commands us, not only because you need to get out of the prison of, of bitterness in your heart, but you don't want to be responsible in any way to drive anyone from the Lord and from his church. Be careful about that. Examine your hearts. Now, the question is, how do you actually go about doing this? It's wonderful to talk in, in broad principles, but specifically, how do you do this? Let me give you the steps. There are three steps, and it's really found in verses um, 7 and 8. Paul outlines it for us in 2 Corinthians. He says in verse 7 and 8, so that on the contrary, you should forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Wherefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. Now, Paul mentions in these two verses three concepts that, that indicate how restoration works. Here's how it works. This is beyond forgiveness. This is restoration. Number one, he uses the word in verse seven, forgive. You forgive. Now, we've been talking about that, but what does that actually mean? How do you actually forgive someone? Well, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 35, the very passage we looked at, you don't need to look at it again. Jesus used this expression. He said, if you forgive from your heart, forgive from your heart. Now, what does that, what does that mean? Does it mean that we have to feel like forgiving somebody? You know, you have to have put your heart into it. What does he mean by that? Is that what it means? Because if that's what it means, if you have to feel like it, you're never going to do it. In my Christian life, well, I've lost count. I never did count anyway, but I, I would have lost count of how many times I have forgiven people. And you know what? Not one time have I ever felt like it. Never have I felt like it. Never have I said, this is wonderful. I feel so much like forgiving this person. Never. If I waited till I, till I felt like forgiving somebody, I'd never forgive anybody. No, he does not mean do it by feeling, by emotion. The word heart is usually used in Scripture synonymous with the mind, with the intellect. Certainly, heart is not the thing pumping in your chest. Heart usually means the same thing as mind and intellect, and that's what it means here. To forgive someone from the heart means that we decide to forgive as a rational and deliberate decision. We decide. It is an act of the will. In other words, we make up our minds not to hold this person's sin against them. We choose not to hold a grudge, not to be vindictive, not to brood about it, not to replay it over and over in our minds. And when it does come into our minds, we get our minds on something else. 
We remember that God has forgiven us all of our sins and therefore we choose by an act of our will to forgive this person the one sin that they've done against us. You choose to do it. You decide. And if you say, I can't do it, then you have to question whether you're really a believer or not. Because God has given you the Holy Spirit and he's given you his word and he says you can do it. You can do it. But it's not based on feeling. It's based on choice. You can do it. If you don't do it as a believer, it's because you choose not to do it. And you know what? There is an insidious, wicked joy that comes from not forgiving people. I know I've been there. I've been there. There is something that is really, um, really makes us happy to hold it over somebody. That's just wicked. But that's where we are. Let go of it. Let go of it. Choose to forgive. You decide not to hold it against them. God says, I will remember your sins no more. Now, what does he mean by that? What he means is not that he has forgotten in the sense that God has amnesia. God hasn't forgotten your sin. But when he says, I, I will remember your sin no more, he means I choose not to hold it against you. I choose not to hold it against you. You have to do the same thing. I choose not to hold this sin against the other person. But it hurt me so much. Yeah, but you hurt God a lot more. And he forgave you. Yeah, but this person was so nasty to me. Yeah, but you're a lot nastier to God. I mean, no matter what this person's done to you, you've done far more to God. And the truth be known, you've done far more to other people as well. So we don't want to have this self-righteous attitude of how dare they do this to me. That's just arrogance and pride. So first, first, restoration begins when you choose to forgive, but it doesn't stop there. And it's not restoration because you choose to forgive. Paul uses another concept, another word in verse seven. He says, forgive and comfort, comfort. Now, that's our responsibility to comfort. Comfort does not mean sympathy. It's the same word he used back in chapter one about God who comforts us in all of our affliction. To comfort means to come alongside of someone and strengthen them. It means basically to assist them in whatever need they have. Now, why is this important? It means this. People who have been disciplined by God often have some serious needs because God has hit them where they hurt. For example, it may mean that God has dealt with them in their finances. God often disciplines us in our, in our finances. That's not to say if you're going through financial, financially hard times, it's always God's discipline. But it is worth saying and asking him, Lord, show me, is this why? But how you would apply this to comfort someone who has been hit financially because of, of sin in their lives, but now they've repented, it may mean that you need to help them financially. And, and, and uh, it may mean that you as an individual need to do this. It may mean that God's chastisement might have affected them physically. They may have physical needs. So it means that to comfort them, you need to come alongside of them and maybe help them get some medical help. Maybe help them get some nourishment, some food. Maybe you need to, to buy something for them. It could be a number of things, but it just means that you don't just say, well, in my heart, I, I forgive them and that's it. No, no. You go to them and if, if you really have forgiven them, do something tangible that shows them they're forgiven. But there is a third concept that he mentions here, and that is in verse 8, he says, reaffirm your love for him. The word reaffirm really means to ratify in a formal way. I believe it's the only time it's used in the New Testament. In other words, by a formal act to the congregation, Paul is saying, reinstate this repentant brother to your fellowship and assure him of your love. 
Now, we'll do that if someone we've disciplined as a church body lets us know that they've repented. They'll be welcomed back. And, and as we have publicly disciplined them, we will publicly restore them. And we will treat them as if they were never disciplined. They will never be a second-class citizen here. We will reaffirm our love to them. They will not be on probation. They will be fully reinstated as members of our church in, in full, complete standing. But on a personal level, when you forgive someone, you need to go to them and extend to them all the full uh, fullness of Christian love, all the grace you have. You don't put them on probation. You don't see them as criminals out on bail. You don't keep them at a distance and saying, you know, they're kind of unclean and I don't want to touch them. No, you welcome them back into your personal fellowship with open arms. You embrace them with the love of Christ and whatever that would entail. They are fully restored to you as if it never happened. That is restoration. Let's pray. Let's bow to pray and let's think about this because I don't want anyone walking out of here with an attitude of rationalizing forgiveness. We don't, we don't want you to be disciplined by God because you refuse to forgive. If you've not forgiven someone who sinned against you, then you need to remember how much God has forgiven you. This is a message for all of us. This is something that needs to be dealt with. You need to focus on God's mercy and grace, and no matter what they have done to you, you have done far more to God, and He has forgiven you. If He's forgiven you all of your sin, then you certainly can and must forgiven, uh, must forgive the little sin that someone has done against you in comparison to your sin against God. Why do you do this? Not only to escape discipline in your life and God's chastisement, but do it so that you don't overwhelm this brother or sister with sorrow. Do it so that you don't drive them into despair. Do it so that they're not devoured by sorrow and frustration because they can never get back into your good graces. Husband, wife, if you're, if you're harboring something against your spouse, you've got to deal with it. You go to them and, and start treating them as one who is restored. Don't keep them at a distance holding grudges against them for things they've said or done in the past. When this takes place, and not just at that level, but at all levels, could be with a child, could be with another family member, could be with someone in the church, could be with a fellow worker. Not only will you be released from God's discipline, but you will keep the other person from being overcome by such unnecessary sorrow and despair. Listen, don't destroy someone else spiritually because of your refusal to forgive them. How dare you do that? Deal with this sin. And if you have never experienced God's forgiveness, then you need to come to faith in Christ. You need to see you have a debt that can't be paid. You are the sinner in this parable, except you're the one who needs forgiveness. And the only way you'll ever get forgiveness is if you come to God through Christ because he's the only one who paid for the debt. You can't pay it by being baptized, by being good, by going to church, by being religious. You can't pay that debt. He's paid it. There's nothing more for you to do but come to him and trust him. In the C.S. Lewis classic, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Aslan the Lion said it well. 
After Edmund repented of his treason against his sisters and brother, Aslan told Peter, Susan, and Lucy, Here is your brother, and there is no need to talk to him about what is past. In other words, Edmund is forgiven, and as far as we are concerned, he never did anything wrong. That's the kind of forgiveness God offers us through Christ, and the kind he expects us to offer to those who sin against us. It's been great to have you with us for another Verse by Verse. Our instructor is pastor-teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you are ever in the Clearwater area on a Sunday morning, Pastor Steve would love to meet you. Lakewood is located at 1893 Sunset Point Road, midway between U.S. 19 and the beach. Verse by Verse Ministries is a faith ministry made possible by the prayers and gifts of listeners like you who have first been faithful to their own church. If you would like to hear today's class again, it's available at our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can download it for later or listen online. You'll find previous lessons on our archives page. That's versebyverseradio.org. If you would like to hear this entire message at once, you can order a CD or a cassette by calling us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will return your call during weekday office hours. That number again is 727-441-1714. And then join us for the next Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve will have more to share on this vital topic of forgiveness. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.